Thank you for the opportunity. Are we on? I'm thankful for the opportunity to share, to talk about my life verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Uh, And I want to use some of my life to illustrate this verse. No, I am not going to tread on Josh's territory and try to explain the Greek meaning of each of these words. If you need that, you get a hold of Josh Congrove and he can help you. Nor is this going to be a deep theological treatise. Some of you know, as he said, I'm a cutter. I was born and raised in Bloomington. I had an uncle, Uncle Victor, who was an actual stone cutter. And I'm a Yankee. I'm not a rebel. I'm a Yankee. I grew up here, and this is what we are. In this culture, we grew up being very proud. We weren't rich. We weren't honored anywhere. In fact, in my neighborhood, when anything bad happened, the first thing they, first thing they ask is, where were the Taylor boys? <laughs> and if anybody's here who's old enough to remember those things, they know none of us in those days could ever be considered saints. And when I talk about this verse from Second Corinthians 5.17, you're going to find a few things a little strange. I need to remind you that I have to live two more years before I'm half American because I spent 38 years in Asia. And I'm only 74 today, so that's the way it is. But a new creation. Now, this is not really something new. I discovered that God started remaking people. As it says, all things are become new, are becoming new. He started that at least with Abraham. If you check Abraham, you'll find a few failures, along with Isaac and Jacob. So this is not new. This is something God has been doing for a long, long time. And he did it in me. Now, I say he did it. Uh, How did he do it? Well, after I graduated from high school in 1951, the Korean War was going on. And that bothered me. That bothered me very much for a couple of reasons. One, I had a buddy from the Boy Scouts who went over to Korea and came back in a box. And I wasn't ready to die. I was scared to die. So I started going to church on a Sunday morning. 
And I figured, well, they would know what my problem was. These are spiritual people, and I didn't have to tell them. And this church was in a rut. Sorry to say that, but it was in a rut. I went three Sunday mornings in a row, and every Sunday morning they sang Amazing Grace. And it bothered me. It bothered me terrible. Because Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. And I knew I wasn't saved from the penalty of my sin. I knew that if I died that day, I was going to hell. And I was scared. So the fourth Sunday, I wouldn't go. I didn't want to hear that song again. But that evening, I didn't have anything to do. So I thought, well, I can probably get into worse trouble going somewhere else. So I'll go to church. I know you think that was a bad decision. And, well, maybe, according to the world's thinking, it was a bad decision. Because that started a whole pack of trouble. I don't know what the preacher preached about. What I do know is at the end of the service, my crippled grandmother came over to me while I was trying to sneak out. She grabbed my hand and she said, Why didn't you go forward and get saved? I've been praying for you. I said, "Um, I didn't have anybody to lead me. I thought, boy, I did it. She squeezed my hand and she says, come on, I'll lead you. And she half dragged me up to the front of the church. There's a little platform, a little higher than this maybe. And we went up on that. And I kind of hid behind the pulpit. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. We knelt down to pray, and I don't remember what Grandma prayed. I know what I prayed. And it was simple. I confessed my sin, and I asked Jesus to forgive me my sin and to come in and take control of my life. I don't know where I got that, but I did it. When I got up off my knees, I immediately knew three things. Without anybody saying a word to me, I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew I was on the road to heaven. I didn't have to fear death anymore. The second thing I knew was from then on, from that moment on, Jesus Christ was boss of my life. Some people don't like using the word boss, but I mean it. He was boss. And the third thing, I knew that from then on, as long as I lived, the Bible is my life guidebook. Well, what happened after that? Well, maybe after that it's real interesting, you know. It's sort of like skim milk on uh, bran flakes. But uh, anyway, my buddy and I from Ellisville, we were talking about things, and neither one of us wanted to be pulling the trigger in the Korean War. Now, I say that because I wasn't a good student in high school, 
and the military people deny it, but they were they were pulling people out of college if their grades weren't good. They weren't making C's or better and shipping them off to Korea. They became cannon fodder. And I was still a little proud. I thought I was worth more than that. So my buddy and I decided we'd join the Air Force. Well, it was probably a couple weeks before we were to leave. The pastor said, hey, you need to be baptized. I said, oh? He said, yeah, you need to be baptized. He probably said it was a sign of obedience to Christ. I don't know what he said. But I said, okay, I'll be baptized. So he and I were baptized together. We joined the Air Force, went off to Texas for basic training. Later he went to Biloxi and I went to Denver. And then June 19th, 1952, I landed in Japan. And my place of service was right in the middle of Tokyo, across from the Emperor's Palace grounds. The outer palace grounds, the outer moat. And I had to walk three blocks to work. Uh, And God was watching over me put me in a room with a Christian. There were three other guys who weren't Christians and were kind of raunchy, but this man was a Christian. And he said, well, you're a Christian. You need to come to GI Gospel Hour with me. What's that? GI Gospel Hour was like a Youth for Christ rally, but it was run by American military people, Air Force Army, Navy, Marines. Met every Saturday night. When I look back on it, and I think five and six hundred men meeting there, singing praise to God. And it was not uncommon to see twenty men walk down the aisle to repent of their sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And sometimes we would have people share their testimony as how they became a Christian. They asked me, and I shared. Afterwards, the missionary said to me, I liked your testimony. What are you going to do when you get out of the Air Force? That's still three years. You know, at that point, I was a full 20 years old. Uh, I said, I don't know. The Lord's the boss. Whatever he says, I'll do. And I meant it. He said, I like that idea. I like that attitude. Did you ever think of asking God for direction? No. I never heard you could ask God for direction. So I began to ask God for direction. You know, really spiritual. I asked him, should I be a teacher, a businessman, a preacher? And I like even numbers, so I threw in missionary to make it four. After praying about six months, the only thing I had peace about was to be a missionary. So I said, okay, Lord, you're the boss. I'll be a missionary. Two or three weeks later, it suddenly hit me. Dummy. People who are going to be missionaries, a missionary is somebody sent by God to go 
preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell people how to get forgiveness of their sins. You've got to have a place to go. Oh. So I began to ask God where he wanted me to go. And it took about three months for God to make it clear to me. He wanted me to be a missionary in Japan. So I said, okay, that's fine. You're the boss. Well, it wasn't long after that that a young missionary came up to me and said, See, I hear you want to be a missionary to Japan. I said, Yeah, that's right. I think that's what the Lord is telling me. Good. How much Bible training you have? What? Bible training. I don't know what you mean. If you're going to tell people about Jesus and you're going to tell them what he's done for them and if you're going to preach and teach, you need Bible training. Oh, I didn't know that. So, then I said, well, where can you get that training? So he listed off several places among them, Moody Bible Institute, Columbia Bible College, uh, maybe Kansas City Bible College, uh, and Wheaton College. And uh, so we were talking, and then I said, by the way, where did you get your Bible training? He said, well, Wheaton College. I said, oh. Then I listed off probably eight more young missionary men that I knew in Japan, right in Tokyo, who all went to Wheaton College. So I said, Lord, that's the kind of people I want to line up with. These people, their lives count for Jesus Christ. And I want my life to count for Jesus. So I applied to Wheaton College, and they accepted me. I felt through that God called me to Wheaton College. I got several things from Wheaton that were extremely important to me. Yes, I got a good biblical education. Another thing, I got a godly, beautiful, supporting wife. And she's hung in there for nearly 48 years. God also gave me a church home that supported me and encouraged me and prayed for me and my family for all our 35 years in Japan. I also got a special challenge from Walter Wilson, who founded Kansas City Bible College. I think it was a tape. I don't remember ever meeting Walter Wilson himself. But Walter Wilson had this practice. He said, no Bible, no breakfast. Now, that was hard. Because I like breakfast. But I said, all right, Lord, I'll take that from you. And the Lord has given grace, and that's been my practice ever since. Now, another thing... I see there are a lot of students here, and you don't want to hear this. So you can go ahead, close your ears. I felt for me to honor the Lord better, I should never study on Sunday. I get up at 4 or 5 o'clock on Monday morning and study, but I didn't study on the Lord's Day. Now, that's my personal preference. And if the Lord touches you about it, okay, that's between you and the Lord. After Wheaton College, we 
felt led to consider Send International as a mission. Now, they're a little bit strange. They think you ought to learn to be a missionary. You ought to be doing some missionary work under supervision, under a little pressure, so they can see if you can handle it. So they sent us to missionary internship. And we learned a few things there. We learned to submit. We had hands-on training, and we learned to submit to the pastor we worked under, even though we thought some of his decisions were kind of odd. And we learned to, okay, do it. Leave the outcome to God. He's ultimately responsible. And we learned that sometimes you have to do things you're not qualified for. One of the things the pastor asked, he said, well, uh, either of you had any, any experience working with children? My wife says, oh, yes, I worked in children's camps and uh, several things, you know, several years. Oh, that's good. He looked at me and he said, well, Gene, how about you? And I said, nothing. Never. Good. You'll lead the junior church. <laughs> so those were learning experiences. 1962, July 14th, we arrived in Japan with our one-year-old daughter, Polly. She's older than that now, and she's here today, and began our study, training for missionary service, learning Japanese. And, well, it was tough. It was a two-year course in humility, as well as language learning. You know, when you're a graduate of a prestigious college, Christian college, and you suddenly find out that three-year-olds can express themselves better than you can, uh, it's hard to handle. But it was true. But God brought us through. God empowered us. I think he empowered us because of the principle, sticking to it, no Bible, no breakfast, to begin my day with Bible study, Bible reading, and prayer. I think this is what carried me through. God was doing it. Now, after that, after that two years of language study, God sent us out across the mountains, backside of Mount Fuji, uh, It may not be important that that's where they put the political prisoners in Japan when they messed up years ago. But anyway, we were sent there. And in the first term, it was quite different. I pastored a Japanese church. I supervised a Japanese kindergarten. Started a student ministry and supervised the building of a student center, none of which I had been trained for. God did it, not me. But it got done. That church is going strong today. There's a college ministry there. On the bright side, nine or ten students confessed Christ during that three-year period. And I had the privilege of baptizing five of them in the river with snow flurries falling in our eyes. 
Well, that's great. But what was greater? In 2004, we visited that area again. And we found out that all five of those keep in touch with each other and they're all walking with the Lord. The Lord is good. He's doing great things still. Next term, we went into Pioneer Church Planning, starting from zero. Yes, zero. There were supposed to be some Christians there, but we couldn't find them. And so what do you do? And I should mention that this was after another year of joyous Japanese study. Uh, But it helped out. We had one year in which we were spinning our wheels. And we thought we wouldn't get out of that rut. I mean, we were passing out tracks. We were knocking on doors, uh, inviting people to come. We were teaching English classes, and nothing was happening. Then we began to advertise with newspaper tract inserts. I would write them and some of the Japanese would correct them so people didn't get hung up on my grammatical mistakes. These would be put into the newspaper and along with it we would advertise that we would teach English. English conversation. The Japanese wanted that for their kids especially. That brought them to us. And as they were exposed to us and Jesus Christ in us, God began to make changes in them. He was recreating them. And so we were able to start a church. And after a while, we, a Japanese pastor joined us in the work, and so we moved the church to his house. Now, there were only two memorable baptisms in that time. And one was Mr. Gomi. He was a baker from a local church. I originally enticed him to come to the church service by saying I bought bread at his place, and I said, I want you to deliver it. And so he delivered it and stayed for the, for the Bible study or church service. Made about a penny on it, he said. So Mr. Gomi, the baker, and an Australian Rotary Exchange student named Philip. And they wanted to be baptized. And they wanted to be baptized on Easter Sunday. And Easter came early that year. The stream coming out of the mountains was kind of chilly. In fact, that day it was 38 degrees. I didn't think I'd ever get warm again. Then came church number three, which was a bit different in Japan because we had more men attending than we had women. And God was gracious. Along with that, I had hepatitis for the second time. I didn't know it, and I wondered if I was ever going to get strong again. It took three and a half months. But the Lord was gracious. And 
That's where I almost drowned a judo player in the baptismal tub. I mean, he was a big guy, well over 200 pounds. And so when I baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and immersed him, and I tried to pull him up, and I couldn't do it. And I had to try again, and finally he helped me get him up. Church number four was a test of patience. Lois and I did all the right things. We knew how to, to knock on doors, and we did all that. We used advertising. We did everything that you're supposed to do. And we were in a rut for two years. Yes, two years with no visible result. Then, after about that time, I was talking with people and they promised they would come. Now, none of you know anything about people breaking their promises. And in Japan, the idea is, you want to please the customer. You want to please this person that's inviting you. You say, sure, I'll come. Well, the first service we had in our house Two Japanese joined Lois and me. But the Lord was gracious, and we began to see results as we prayed and waited on the Lord. Uh, eventually, it grew as, barring a phrase from Acts, the Lord added to the church such as were being saved. And on top of that, we prayed for six months for a meeting place. And our answer was zero. And then I asked a question about an empty real estate building. And they said, oh, that belongs to the farmer who owns the kindergarten. I went over to see him. He said, well, yeah, let's go look at it. So we walked over and looked at it. And... Uh, it was a nice, spacious building. and even had a separate kitchen. So he said, uh, do you think this would meet your needs? And I said, well, it certainly would, Mr. Fu-. And he said, well, okay. I said, well, how much money do you want down to hold this? And this was on a Saturday, and we didn't, couldn't get to the bank. He looked at me and he said, Mr. Taylor, you just shake my hand and say you want it, and it's yours, and... Whenever you get the money, it's okay. Now, I had served as a housing manager and had to pay six months in advance for a number of our missionary places. So this was indeed rare. Church number five was not started from zero. There was one member when they asked me to come in and pastor it. Well... By the time we left Japan in July of 1997, there were several members, and they were averaging over 20 in attendance. That was a good three years. Now then, I've shared to you what I think is just normal for new creation persons, because it's simply 
what obedience to Christ produces. The place is different, but obedience to Christ produces results. That's what it means, are becoming new, a new creation. All things are becoming new. And God gives the command, and then he gives the power to obey. It's not me, it's not you, it's what God is doing. God is making us new. 16-hour work days were not uncommon. And I'm afraid there were many times that Lois wondered if she really had a husband. But the surprise hit me that hit me was this. I thought I was doing something for God. And it turned out in reality, God was doing something for me. He was using all these struggles, all these experiences, and some successes to prepare me for honoring Him even more so. Now, I've not mentioned that I coached wrestling for 20 years. I, I also led the summer missions program for 10 years, and I, for several years, I led adult English camps for teachers of English, Japanese teachers of English. When I think of that, I think of a, three people in particular. One was Mr. O'Connor. He wasn't rich, but that's what his name meant. But he was at this English camp, and he said, Well, Mr. Taylor, I don't think I'll be here next year. I said, Mr. O'Connor, haven't you enjoyed it here? Oh, yes, I've really enjoyed it. Then why aren't you going to come next year? Well, I'm going to get married. Oh, I said, Well, that's nice. Uh, what's the name of the girl you're going to marry? I don't know. I said, wait a minute. You, you're going to get married, and you have no idea who you're going to marry? Well, yeah, that's right, but my father will choose just the right wife for me. Now, I have to admit, in Asian thinking, I'm a rank failure. Both of my children are 40-plus and are not married. I failed to get a husband or a wife for either of them, so you pray for me. But there are other bright spots. There was Mr. Mima who came to English camp. He looked me in the eye and he said, You're Gene Taylor. I said, well, Yes, I am. You haven't changed a bit in 25 years. You know, this man really needs new glasses. But he, he said, No. Twenty-five years ago at the GI Gospel Hour, you gave me a gospel tract. I was in graduate school in Tokyo. Said I took that home to my room, and I read it and prayed, and I confessed Christ as my Savior. I didn't know I had any part in it. Then there was another man, a Mr. Furukawa. He heard we were, I don't know how, but he heard we were heading back for America for retirement. He called me up and he said, I've got to talk to you. 
I want to come and see you. Come ahead. Told him how to get there. And he came and he said, I just had to come because I had to thank you for leading me to Christ. Excuse me, Mr. Furukawa. I remember you from, you know, the English that you studied when we were in language school. But when did I lead you to Christ? He said, through that English Bible study, you led me to Christ. Well, that was 33 years had passed since that had happened. The Lord is good. He's in control. He is recreating us. And it's hard for me to grasp that God's recreation is recreating us. But I think it's true. So, this new life God created for me, when I repented of my sins and asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and take control of my life, it's worked for me for almost 55 years. It'll be 55 years September 3rd. And God knew I needed all those struggles in Japan over 35 years to prepare me for ministering here in Bloomington, ministering and serving my family. And that's what I've been attempting to do. Now, you say, well, your evangelism days are done. Well, not exactly. Uh, Just this past week, I felt God was telling me you need to share something with the church and you need to encourage them that they can do evangelism and that there's an easy way to do it. So I felt the Lord leading me to prepare a testimony and give it to every house in my neighborhood. Let's see where it is here. Well, I can't find it here. But in the back, on the table, there's a stack of about a hundred of the tract I prepared with my picture on it and sharing how I became, how I came to know Christ and how God called me to be a missionary. And I I knocked on every door. There's about a hundred in our neighborhood. And giving this to these people. Now, I'm sharing this with you. Thank you, Glenn. I'm sharing this with you because it's not hard to do. There are computers all over the place. You can, you can type it. You can make something like this for less than 10 cents a copy. Let God work in you Let God evangelize your neighborhood through you. You can do it. Now, I have to admit, while I was doing this, I had second thoughts, and I said, Taylor, you're dumb. You're trying to get over triple bypass. Now you're out here in the heat doing this. But I felt God said, you've got to do it. So I did it. I did it in two stages because I couldn't handle it all at once. You can do it too. 
and I want to encourage you. Now then, I want to finish with something that's very important. There's some of you here who have not become new creations in Christ Jesus. You've resisted. You've refused to repent of your sins, ask forgiveness, and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. It's quite common. My sister, who will be buried this afternoon, will have the funeral this evening at 5 o'clock, resisted for most of her life. 21 days ago, in my presence, she confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and asked forgiveness for her sin. Thursday morning of this past week, God called her home. Okay, she beat, the, she beat the deadline. Can you be sure that you will? You have no guarantee. So I want to urge you. I want to urge you to, as we sing the last song, if you have not given Jesus Christ first place in your life, if you have not repented of your sins, I want to urge you to repent. And I want you to do it publicly. I want to urge you to come right up here. I'll be here waiting. And others will be here available too. Not just me, but Lois will come and join me. Come up and publicly confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Ask Him to forgive your sins and to come in and take control. This is a great opportunity for you. I want to encourage you to do it, and do it now. And so if we would have that song, uh, I don't know if we need somebody leading or not. I certainly can. (laughs) 